This morning, we're going to read Psalm 103 in our preparation for the Lord's Supper celebration. I want to focus in particular on the verses 8 through 18 and on two themes that we find in there, but we're going to read the whole psalm together. Psalm 103. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we are celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We all come to the table with baggage. For some of us, it's the weight of moral failure. We're not happy with the way that we handled certain situations this past week. And for others, perhaps it is the burden of past sins and their consequences, maybe very serious sins. And so when we approach the table this morning, in our mind, there's there's a certain degree of moral failure and weakness. 
And our identity can sometimes feel like it's shrouded in that. Or maybe others have come here this morning burdened with a sense that everything depends on them. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by all of your medical responsibilities. Maybe you had a a rough week. You don't have much left to give. Or maybe you have a, a medical situation that you're dealing with. Or maybe it's just plain old age. You feel the years that have accumulated. And maybe sometimes you experience a sense of frustration at your own weakness. Yet this morning, most of us will be coming to the Lord's Supper table. And it is here in this very place that the Lord strengthens us. He strengthens us physically through the bread and the wine. He sustains us through them. These represent his constant care for us and sustaining us in our earthly existence. But the bread and the wine are also a sign and seal of a deeper reality, and that is that he sustains us spiritually in our moral state, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our failure. This morning you are invited to the table of the one person who knows you completely better than anyone else. And he does not reject you as you are. In fact, he wants you to be here this morning. Psalm 103 tells us why, and it shows us what that looks like. So this morning, we will see that at the table, the Lord strengthens us with his steadfast love, and he does so despite our moral weakness and despite our physical weakness. So if you look at our text, it begins by telling us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's verse 8. And that theme of steadfast love permeates our whole text. You find it at the beginning in verse 8. You find it in the middle at verse 11, and you find it at the end in verse 17. It refers to his steadfast love three times. So this is something important. And what, what is this steadfast love? It is the constant love, the constant faithfulness that the Lord expresses to us in the covenant. It is his constant commitment to us as his people. But what prompts that? Verse 6 and 7 says that the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, if you know the Old Testament, then you know that this can only refer to one thing, and that is the exodus and the events that followed. God's people were oppressed in Egypt, and God had compassion on them. He promised to deliver them. He brought them to Mount Sinai, where he entered into a covenant with them. And how did the people respond? They made a golden calf, and they worshiped that instead. And the Lord starts over with them. He reveals himself again to Moses, Moses who is heartbroken at the unfaithfulness of God's people. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, it says that the Lord passes before Moses and he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is the exact wording that we find back here in verse 8. So these words of our text are 
words of light against a backdrop of profound moral failure. The self-revelation of God comes after the most grotesque sin that we could possibly imagine. There could have been no greater sign of moral weakness, no greater expression of God's steadfast love than at that very point in time when he spoke those words. And so where does this reason for the steadfast love lie? It cannot lie in us. It has to lie in him. And that means that our moral weakness, our shortcomings, our sins do not diminish his love. Instead, it makes his love shine more brightly. The ultimate expression of that steadfast love is in God's self-giving on the cross. God does not deal with us according to our iniquities. Why not? Because he dealt with our sins completely in the broken body and shed blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. No greater sin could be imagined than that one, the crucifixion of the Son of God by human hands, hands of dust. And it is in the darkness of that very act that God displayed his steadfast love the most brightly. And when you begin to understand that, and then it provokes a childlike sense of wonder, that is reflected in the words that follow. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Have you ever stood outside on a summer day and gazed into a blue sky? And if you look long enough, you lose yourself in there completely. Can you see where it ends? Do you see even where it begins? You can't. It's just this expanse of blue, this unfathomable depth. And have you ever thought about this, that no matter how far east you go, you'll never get to the end of it. There's always more of it to go, and, and, and the west is always, always behind you. Who could come to the end of the east or the west? There's always more, and that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. It's an infinite distance. Why does God do that? Because he loves us. He wants us at his table. This is not just a ritual. It can feel that way sometimes because you, you go through it multiple times because we have many members here. But this is not just a ritual. The bread and the wine are signs and seals of his steadfast love toward us. They physically represent to us what the psalm is trying to tell us. God wants to get the message across to us in as many ways as he can. At the table, the Lord strengthens us with his steadfast love. He does this despite our moral weakness, and he does this despite our physical weakness. That's the second part that we were going to look at, the physical weakness, which is also reflected in the second half of our text. Because you might wonder, why does he use food in particular to represent, to depict his steadfast love in Jesus Christ? Why food? The Catechism says that he wants to teach us by his supper that as, a, as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. In other words, his spiritual care in our lives is depicted through this physical care. The physical care is a means to an end, but, the, but we should not ignore 
that physical aspect of his care as well. These are two polarities that exist in our text. We need the physical care just as much because we are physically limited. And we don't accept that. It's one of the hardest things to, to learn, especially when you're young. To learn that you have limitations and to find out where they are. To know that you can go a little bit further, but there is a point beyond which you cannot progress. And that's just the way that it is. And we push back against that. We feel exhausted sometimes, but we have another cup of coffee and we push through the fatigue. Or we feel guilty when we rest. All but if I had a show of hands here and asked who feels guilty when they rest, at least half of you would put up your hands. But we need to remember our physical limitations existed already before the fall into sin. This is, this is a feature. This is not a bug. Even Adam and Eve in the garden had physical limitations, probably um, in different places than we do, but they had physical limitations. They were made from dust. They were created with a need for sleep and rest as well, and we forget that sometimes. But the Lord does not. Even when you have forgotten and ignored your physical limitations, the Lord does not. Verse 13 reminds us of that when it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Some of us are parents. You know what it's like to have compassion on your children. Maybe your child comes home tired from a day at school, but they still have to do homework. It's got to get done. Maybe he or she really struggles with the energy and the motivation to get through it. And you see your little scholar plodding away there at night. Math problems, writing assignments. And you feel a sense of compassion. Imagine how much more compassion the Lord must have for us. Because he knows us. He made us. He knows that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. And there's a tinge of sadness from the psalmist in those words. Adam was created from dust, yes, but he was not meant to return to dust. But he did. And post-fall, so will we. We are dust. And God has compassion on us. He knows that we live in the world after the fall. He knows that we often struggle with fatigue or the growing weakness of old age or depression, or a heavy sense of responsibility, or just the burdens of life in general. The Lord knows. He has compassion on us. And so at the table, He strengthens us with His steadfast love, and He gives us bread and wine to remind us in a very physical way that He is the one who sustains us from moment to moment. And maybe you never had that compassion from your earthly father. But the psalm invites us to find that compassion in God. You'll never find a better father than him. At the table, he clearly shows us his steadfast love. And he does this so that, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that is together. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? Those are echoes of Psalm 103. That's what he wants. He wants to sustain us so that we can fully experience this love. 
At the table, the Lord strengthens us with a steadfast love. Despite our moral weakness, despite our physical weakness, he says, you are my children. There is no one I would rather have here than you. Come to my table. I love you. Amen.